Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everyone to season two, episode 17 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. And it's another interview format around that wonderful subject of mergers and acquisitions. That's right, we're talking the state of the dental economy with Miller Norman, Vice President of Blue Sea Capital. He is gonna share numerous pearls of wisdom throughout today's show from a very successful private equity perspective. Get your pad and pen ready. I know you're gonna wanna take some notes. And of course, brew another cup of that wonderful Mila coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Once again, welcome everybody to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports, and I am joined today behind the microphone by Miller Norman. He is the Vice President of Healthcare Investing and is involved with transaction execution and portfolio management for a little private equity group you may have heard of before called Blue Sea Capital. Yes, for those familiar with the successful Decadental deal of years past, that was Blue Sea Capital, Miller and the guys there, and they successfully exited that position last fall. Miller also sits on two different boards. One's a pedo ortho group and one's an oral surgery group. He's got a wealth of experience and is going to share a lot of insight on today's show. Miller, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Perrin. Thanks for having me and uh, really look forward to our conversation. I have been looking forward to this one as well, truth be told. We've gotten to know one another through the uh, um, uh, turns of the last couple of months, I'll say. Um, and you guys uh, obviously have a track record, a tremendous track record of experience and success. Uh, I feel like probably everyone in our audience uh, has heard the name Blue Sea Capital, and I know they've heard the name Decadental. So kudos to you, first and foremost, for uh, or for planting a tremendous flag early on and creating a lot of success. Let's talk, uh, let's start our conversation though um, and, and rewind the tape a little bit uh, into 2021. I wonder from your perspective, your lens, Miller, if you wanna just kind of share some broad brush overview in terms of the year that 2021 was. It, it was a hell of a year globally in terms of M&A and I wonder what it looked like from your perspective. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, a, a hell of a year um, from a Blue Sea perspective, you know, a very, very busy year for us. Um, you know, we, we sold four of our businesses, you know, two in the dental sector, um, DDS Labs and, and Decadental. We made four um, new platform investments and did over 30 add-on acquisitions across our firm. Um, so just a, a very, very active year. There's been no let up, you know, thus far um, into 2022, at least for us. Um, and, and I think really, you know, coming out of the outset of COVID, we, we've been extremely busy, you know, 
I think a lot of folks, um, you know, at least that we would consider add-on acquisitions have kind of seen the benefits of being, you know, part of a, you know, larger, um, very well capitalized organization um, that takes, you know, a lot of the day-to-day stresses from an administrative perspective, you know, off the plates of, of clinicians. Um, and so we have been very, very busy again, particularly from an add-on uh, perspective coming out of COVID um, and don't see that letting up uh, anytime into the future here. Yeah, I, I think um, 2021 was, uh, I, I, the audience has heard me refer to it as the perfect storm. I mean, you had, you know, from the COVID year of 2020, you had a bunch of business development people that didn't make their number, right? And had to, to sit on the sidelines for six to nine months or whatever it was. And we saw that activity rebound in, at the very, very end of 2020. But then you also had um, the election and the looming potential tax law changes so you, you had uh, a bunch of people that were really motivated and incented to, to do deals from the buy side. You had a lot of unknowns in terms of long-term cap gains and some other um, tax type um, implications, um, which fanned the flames for the sellers you know, to, to um, capitalize when and where they could. And then you also had still at that point of 2021, relatively low um, or historically low uh, levels of of debt um, structure, you know, in terms of financing rates and everything like that. And it was kind of like that perfect storm thrown into a blender and turned on high. And um, I can't imagine what it was like going through that from from your end, especially exiting some positions too and, and starting some new ones because the activity, the pace of activity had to have been uh, immense. I mean, do you, you want to comment on what life was like <laughs> for you to, to live through that? <laughs> uh, there, there wasn't a lot of sleep, um, you know, in 2021, you know, at, at least over here and, and across, you know, the industry. I mean, I think, you know, you, you talk to most folks, you know, either, you know, on the private equity side or private lending side, you know, I, I think most everyone had a record year in terms of just transaction volumes. I think, you know, a perfect storm, you know, is a great way to describe it, but, you know, very busy. Um, and, and thankfully, you know, holding that momentum at least, you know, thus far into 2022. Yeah. One other trend I might ask you about as it relates to, to 2021, I don't know if this was a trend. Um, and certainly 2021 wasn't the only year this has happened, but I, I feel like, you know, there were a lot of platforms that uh, recapitalized last year. I mean, obviously, DECA did with with your exit, and and there were many others, and there were a couple of um, other larger uh, enterprise-level groups that, I don't know if you'd call it a merger, you know, I'm thinking like um, the Smile Brands one, there was one with Heartland and everything like that. So there was a lot of, there's a lot of movement at the top end of the food chain, right? And And I think a lot of that validated the um, kind of second bite, what we call the second bite of the apple on the recapitalization for an initial seller maintaining an equity position and then the, the subsequent second bite at the at the tail end of that phase. Um, any, don't, you, you can't talk about DECA specifically, obviously, but just in the general um, perspective of yours on those types of events in our world, it really did validate the, the model, if you will, 
um, for, for dentistry going through this process? No, absolutely. Um, I think it really did validate. I mean, dentistry consolidation has been, you know, steady for what feels like the last, you know, two decades. And I think it'll continue to consolidate over time. You know, the overarching industry continues to be, you know, very large fragmented, you know, where, you know, at least on the general dentistry side, you know, 15 to 20 percent of, of the market is, you know, DSO affiliated and even less so in some of the specialties, which have really kind of caught, um, caught a lot of tailwinds of late, just in terms of new private equity investment, you know, et cetera. I think, you know, we continue to see, you know, experienced dentists, you know, working longer into their careers, you know, new graduates joining the workforce who for various reasons, debt load, stability, training structure, um, you know, who want to, you know, join a DSO versus, you know, being part of, you know, an independent organization or what I'll call kind of the traditional option. So I think there's just a lot of things coming together that, you know, again, to use your word validation have kind of proven what, you know, folks, you know, saw many years ago. And I think it'll continue to happen. You know, I think I saw a stat that, again, at least on the general side there, you know, we're over 100 general DSOs. And while we've seen a lot of activity on the add-on front, I think we will, you know, into the future start to see more deals, you know, between DSOs, um, you know, as companies look for their next kind of growth phase, depending on where they are in their respective life cycles of their, you know, um, investment. Yeah, the, I think probably the the larger in size that you get, the more progressively difficult it becomes on an ROI standpoint to do onesie twosies. You know, it, it's uh, um, I guess it's a different ball game up there. I wouldn't know, but um, I can do some some basic napkin <laughs> math on it, figure it out. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so let let's kind of pivot and and move into 2022 because. Uh, from our end, um, both being on the consulting side of the world in terms of growth strategy for uh, uh, for entrepreneurial dentists, as well as being a sell side representative in the marketplace, um, we've seen a couple of different things. And I mean, obviously, again, you guys uh, exited one platform and and went you know wholesale into a, a couple of other endeavors. Um, but I think there's we're kind of at an interesting phase because globally, you know, deal flow in Q1 has been uh, lower than what it was last year. I mean, I don't know if it could be any higher than what it was last year. So that's not a huge market commentary for me, but I think there's this digestion phase, right? Where, where you have like, after you acquire all these uh, smaller groups and solo practices at some point you've got to you got to integrate them like the ops team has to take over right and understandably the business development engine starts to slow down just a a little bit what are y'all seeing at blue sea relative to that as you as you roll out of 21 and into 22 and now we're we're what three and a half almost four months into 22 what's the what's the pace looking like and what are what are some of the things that y'all see going on no, great question. And we'll kind of bifurcate it, you know, into, into two things. You know, we we ourselves here at Blue Sea have been, um, you know, very busy, um, you know, thus far in the Q1. We announced another kind of investment in the dental space, um, in the ortho uh, pediatric dentistry space specifically last week. So we have been 
very busy with that transaction transaction. I think more broadly, um, you know, have seen a little bit of a slowdown. Um, and I think that's really the bifurcation of a, a couple of different items. I think a lot of deal flow that got done and consummated prior to, you know, the turn of the calendar in December was kind of pulled forward um, because of the potential tax change, because of the momentum in the market that would have otherwise, you know, transacted, you know, in Q1 um, or, or thereafter in 2022. Um, and, and so I think that is a big piece that said, you know, have heard from, you know, our various banking relationships that, you know, pitch activity, which I'm sure you're seeing is, you know, at all time highs and they do expect, um, you know, 2022 to, you know, catch up, um, if you will, and that momentum to resume. And then parent, I think a great point just around integration and digestion for some of these large consolidators out there. Um, you know, coming off record years, you know, in 2021, you know, there does need to come a point where, you know, the, the integration and ops team, you know, kind of catch up, if you will, with M&A activity. Um, but again, I think that will be more temporal in nature and, and will, you know, see kind of a resume, resuming, if you will, of that momentum in, in the back half of 2022. Yeah, so that that's really great, right? You know, any lag that there was at the early stages of 2022, if the prognostication is that the activity level will make up for that in the second half of the year, that that basically means that all of you in business development offices, the attorneys and the CPAs are not going to get any sleep now from like what Labor Day through through New Year's or something like that, probably. I think that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I. It's, it was unbelievable last year, just when we would get emails from third parties at ungodly hours of the night, you know? Um, so uh, uh, it's a fascinating time to be in the space. I'm, I'm sure you uh, uh, can attest. So uh, let's, let's kind of um, move off of like the big picture aspects of things and, and maybe dig a little bit more into uh, the process side. Um, because I think, you know, all of us love to to dream and dream big and like we see trends and things happen. We, we hear about multiples and dollars and all of that's really sexy and, and it's um, headline material. But at the end of the day, the, the, the process of closing a, a transaction um, is one that uh, is lengthy, it's emotional, it's draining. Um, and there, there are things that go smoothly, and then there are things that um, that create challenges. Is maybe the diplomatic way of trying to say it. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about you know that emotional roller coaster uh, and, and you know timelines. And we we try to do uh, as good a job as we can with our clients of being proactive and trying to help set their expectations, manage their emotions to, to create less of a, of a bumpy ride for them um, because they're only going to do this once really, you know, and, and we may be involved with multiple different um, parties simultaneously. So it's, it's really up to us to hold their hand through the process. Can you talk a little bit about from your level or from, from your side of the, the table um, that, you know, the, the time frame, the timeline of, of getting a deal done, uh, the emotional roller coaster that you see on the, 
the seller's behalf. And then some of the aspects around, you know, one of the things we believe in highly is a sell side quality of earnings. Maybe if you have any uh, input or guidance or thoughts around any of those just to start. Yeah, no, um, all great questions. Um, and, you know, a transaction is is a roller coaster. Um, you know, I, I think one and what we always try to do, you know, in a transaction process is to just over communicate. Um, you know, communication is key. And when communication isn't there, it just, you know, brings in, you know, certain ambiguity. And so whatever it may be, you know, both parties um should endeavor to just over communicate so that nothing is lost in translation i think you know on the emotion side you know no no transaction no two transactions are the same um and there are always parent as you know um bumps and surprises throughout that process um and so what what we really try to do is um you know decouple you know emotions um as best we can you know appreciating that you know our counterparties at least from our perspective it is you know probably the biggest if not the biggest business decision they will ever make um you know in their lifetime and that's really kind of picking you know what will hopefully be you know a good steady partner um you know that you can collectively kind of lock arms with to you know achieve you know both parties collective goals um but really try to take the emotion out of it because so much of it you know it is a roller coaster um and really you know stay rooted in you know the facts as they you know come up which is inevitably harder said than done um you know because again no two transactions are the same and you know just there is always something that inevitably, you know, comes up. And I, I do believe that it is also a, a great time to really kind of see how your transaction counterparty will be a partner on a go forward basis. You know, we here at Blue Sea like to think of ourselves as deal doers where we, you know, take constructive, you know, collaborative mindset um, to really try to get a deal consummated. Um, you know, we do not like to, you know, retrade or recut our deals. Um, you know, that, that certainly, you know, does happen in some instances, but it really is, you know, keeping that open mind communication and working collectively and collaboratively as a seller party and a buyer party to ultimately, you know, find a solution that, that works for both sides. Um, you know, in terms of your question on a sell side Q of E, um, I think it is very smart to do this. We, we do it on all of our sell side transactions um, because it just takes out a level of unknowing or risk that you otherwise wouldn't know until the buyer counterparty has done their work. And, you know, the amount of money, while it is, you know, um, an outlay out front, you know, can pay dividends, you know, in terms of not only dollars, but just time and energy um you know later in a process and so i think hiring you know a reputable firm to do that work up front you know takes away any potential surprises that could come away you know in a buyer's diligence um it also gives you um as sellers something to kind of present up front something that you feel confident um that is right versus you know um just kind of relying on you know, a CPA or someone to kind of put it together 
where there, you know, could be potential mistakes and, you know, mistakes undoubtedly happen in life. It just so happens that, you know, a mistake in a transaction, you know, times a multiple can, you know, end up being a pretty big number. And so do feel like a sell side Q of A again, helps mitigate potential risks um, and helps potentially even root both sides um, on a good starting line. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. If you think about the arc of the transaction and, and the length that's involved with the entire process, um, it, it gets more emotional the longer it goes. So, you know, if you're going to deal with material issues or bad news, if you want to put it in those terms or try to get around uh, some of that it's probably better to, to deal with all of that earlier on the process when everybody's kind of cool and focused versus, you know, to your point, everything magnified by a, a level of six or eight or 10 or more, you know, in the late stages of the deal, because that's where a lot of things blow up. And if you had the opportunity with, you know, when, er when everybody's calm and, and sort of sitting level-headed to address any of the issues or the uh, values around transaction and quality of earnings and things like that, to be able to, to handle that earlier in the process it has to save a ton of anxiety um, as, it, as it leads up to the finish line. At least that's our philosophy. I know that we're, uh, it, it, from a sell side perspective, we're probably decidedly in the minority when it comes to that, but um, it is something that we believe in here at Polaris and probably something that makes us a little bit different too. Um, you, Miller, uh, since we, since we're talking about, you know, deals and the process and everything like that, any, anything you might be able to share from your experience, um, without broaching any confidentiality, of course, around the things that kill deals or, you know, what creates greater anxiety or, or challenges both for you and the seller, um, in the process. No, oh, great question. And I think this one is is something that, you know, you've heard we we say it a lot on, you know, our side, um, and and kind of are always looking at ways to to mitigate this is, you know, time. Um kill, kills deals, you know, as you alluded to, Perrin, you know, as a transaction goes on, emotions um, you know, tend to rise, folks get antsy or nervous, um, particularly with potential lack of communication. Um, and so any way to mitigate that to shorten a time frame is always going to be well received, whether that is doing, you know, the sell side QV work up front or pre-populating the data room so that when a buyer comes in, you know, they can immediately start working through those items, be more reactive to what's already there to streamline their thoughts and, and reasoning. I think another thing that, you know, is, is worthwhile is really the legal counsel that, you know, both parties, um, you know, are working with can, um, you know, either help or, or hinder a transaction. And I do think it's important to have, you know, um, you know, an attorney or legal counsel that, knows how to do transactions that, you know, has some sort of experience in that space because it is complicated. There is a lot of documents flying around and really you need someone who's 
been through that, who can navigate um, you through that process, because at the end of the day, because it is so complex, you don't have the right counsel. We've seen that lead to elongated timelines just because someone isn't used to the speed um, and the robust nature of a transaction um, that has really kind of dragged it out. And so, yeah, time. Yeah, I, the the experience counsel uh, is is such sage advice because uh, unfortunately, um, I think all of us unfortunately have learned at at um, uh, through the experience of working with uh, counsel that uh, isn't necessarily well versed in multi site healthcare or or things along those lines, and they they tend to learn on the client's dime which is not great, but also um, it, it there in order for one of these transactions to work, there has to be some give and take and some collaboration for lack of a better term. And I think that's critically important to understand what we're all trying to solve for, um, not at the expense of one another necessarily, um, uh, but still being able to pre- protect their clients. So um, that's a, that, that's a, that's a great point. Um, no, and, and, and Perrin, I'll just jump in there. I think that's an important concept because I think it is transactions should um, be collaborative. It's not, you know, a one way street. And, and ultimately, you have two willing parties at the table, you know, who will in the future be locking arms. And so, you know, it should never be one side, take it or leave it. There really should be, you know, that collegial collaborative um discussion to find the right solution, you know, together. And I think it's also just a great glimpse into, you know, your go forward partner and how they react on certain situations. And you you can't discount that. Um, But I think having that open mindedness to collaborate um, is something that's that's very important. Because I think when you start, you know, being obstinate or standoffish over issues where there is, a collaborative way to solve it, you know, can leave a bad taste and, you know, either party's mouth, depending on um, how things evolve. Yeah. that You said it, that that's a tough way to start a partnership, isn't it? <laughs> that it is. <laughs> you can, you can learn a lot about both parties uh, uh, through, through uh, those types of trials and tribulations for sure. Um I'm, and I'm sure there've been many a time where you kind of scratched your head and had to think to myself, think to yourself, how bad do I really want this? <laughs> so um, that's good stuff. Um, let's talk about the, uh, I probably should have asked this question uh, initially in the process, sort of train of thought, but uh, you know, I think there are a lot of um, potential people in the audience um, who who think about a, a sale process in terms of um, an auction, for lack of a better term, and, and they kind of kind of think about it from the aspect of selling a house, just to be trite with it. You know, if you're if you're selling your house and you're moving out of the neighborhood, you probably really don't care who the buyer of the house is. You just want the highest value for the house, and you're done. Um, and, and there can be a place for that in the world of M and A. But I think there are not too many people that sell a, a group practice uh, and, and walk away. They're, they're usually 
transacting a group practice because they want to partner with a private equity group or be part of a larger mothership and, and go forward with it. That's that second bite of the apple thing that we were talking about early to, earlier to start the show. And, and I think, you know, in a from our perspective in a marketed sales process, we tend to take a more limited approach. And, and I think we spend a lot of time with guys like yourself trying to understand, you know, who the buyers are, what might be the right fit, um, not prejudge it on behalf of our client, but also not end up broadcasting these things to, you know, 170 different parties and waste a ton of time on data rooms and NDAs and everything up front. You know, when we've probably got a pretty good idea on what the client wants because we spent the time with them, we understand who the potential buyers are because we spent some time there as well. And then it's about finding the right fit. And, and I think that kind of a curated process hopefully makes for a smoother process and it makes for happier parties that are more collaborative all the way around. So, so this is a clumsy question, if you could even put it that way. But I, I guess maybe just from your perspective, what it's like to, to be on the receiving end of, a, of an email blast that you know that went to every private equity group in North America versus one that might be a little bit more uh, curated, for lack of a better term? No, I, I think, Karen, that's a, a very good question. And, you know, I, I think with just where the M&A markets have been, you know, coming out of COVID and, you know, 2021 um, and where they will continue to be in 2022, there's only so many hours in the day with where you know buyers can spend their time and buyers or at least from my perspective are going to be more willing to engage on a potential transaction when it hasn't been blast blasted to the masses and it is a curated group where you're not you know number 100 or number 50 to kind of receive the materials you're one of a handful you feel like time your time is going to be well spent if i was to put one process that went broad one one process that was you know curated thoughtful go into a smaller group like for like assets you'd play in the you know the smaller process um any day because you feel like your your odds of success um, are higher. And, you know, I think that's where, you know, folks looking to, you know, sell their practice have to, you know, trust you as their, you know, sell side advisor to curate that process. However, you all see fit. You, like you said, we, we've spent a lot of time together historically. You know, know you all have a lot of great conversations with other folks in the industry. You know exactly what they're looking for in a go forward partner, um, and so you're able to make that match up front. And that's a little bit of of why you know, at least from my perspective, you know, a group would hire you. It's for that knowledge. Um, it is for the you know experience that you and DeWalker have in the space. Um, you know, and, and the time relationships, energy, you know? Um, and so it's a little bit of trust because you're right. You know, ultimately when, you know, to use your example, selling a house, right. You're, you're getting to dust your hands of that asset, sell it to the next person, move to a new neighborhood, 
or geography, whatever it may be, you're done with it. You know, you, you use the word partner and it's a word that we believe in, you know, you're ultimately locking arms with somebody at your transaction, um, in hopes of, you know, getting to the other side of a second bite at the apple. And so ultimately you're looking for a partner that's both trustworthy and competent, um, you know, who's run the race before knows exactly how to execute on that thesis. Um, because, you know, it could be, again, the biggest, if not one of the biggest business decisions you'll ever make in your life. And you can only choose that, that partner once. Um, and if it's not the right individual, both or, or kind of organization from a, not only a fit perspective, you know, can make for a, a, you know, a long, arduous process on a go forward basis. Yeah, I, I think, um, from our lens and we don't, uh, we, we take on sell side clients, um, somewhat selectively, uh, I, I would say. And, um, a lot of them are not a good number of them are, are historical consulting clients. So we, we know them, we know them as operators, we know them as people and everything like that. Um, and, you know, I think there's still a number of people interested in, in transacting their business and they, they see the transaction as a spike, the football moment. And, that might have been okay in the solo sales market, like transacting the business to a young associate or something like that. Um, but in the group practice space, it's dramatically different. I, I mean, that transaction is looking for a partner. I mean, to use our term once again, but it's it's also it's an inflection point. It's it's maybe halftime in terms of the game. You know, there's a there's a lot of life after liquidity. And, and, you know, this is a marriage of sorts, a collaboration with another business entity that's going to be the one plus one equals four or five, hopefully, if done correctly. And it's really important to take the time to find that right partner that you feel like you're going to be able to collaborate with, work with, and create something greater than you could create on your own. And that's a different mindset than uh, I just want the the highest multiple type thing. I mean, that's, um, I hope there's less and less of that mentality as we're entering this next phase of the market, honestly. So. Absolutely. Um, I think that's well said. Let's, uh, let, let's talk about, uh, that process of exiting and, and transactions. When I say exiting, maybe like leading up to a transaction. I mean, you've been, you've exited a position, um, you've done, I uh, have no idea how many acquisitions um, you're uh, experienced at a platform level. When we talk about uh, your your interactions with sell side advisors representing you and, and Blue Sea, but also the sell side advisors that you uh, interact with that, that represent um, uh, their own clients, can you maybe broad brush some stuff around um, communication styles. You mentioned data room earlier and organization. We believe pretty highly in that. We talked a little bit about the process from limited to broad and then the collaborative aspect. Um, can you maybe just hit some high notes, uh, what, what it's like from your perspective, having lived both sides of the, the street, so to speak? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, first and foremost, you know, someone that you're engaging with or that we and, and that we would engage with to, you know, sell a business for us, you know, would be, you know, someone who has an expert and, you know, that particular, you know, industry. 
um, who lives it and breathes it, you know, has the deep relationships to buyers. They know exactly who to call, um, you know, had the conversations, know what folks are interested in. Um, and that's, that's kind of one, you know, someone who is experienced, who has done similar deals that look and feel like the one that you may be looking to sell. Um, and, and I do believe that coming out of COVID people are being very, very judicious with their time. And so, you know, I think you'll continue to see limited processes, you know, on a go forward basis versus, you know, the broad processes, um, that were very popular historically, just because people are having to pick and choose from a buyer perspective, how they spend their time. You know, I think organization, you know, throughout the process is something that is very important. You know, you talk about doing the Q of E's and other, you know, third party prep, you know, before launching, having the data room set up. I think, you know, we've all done, or at least, you know, parent you, us, you know, other folks who are experienced in buying practices, you know, we all somewhat to a degree ask the same questions in terms of what we need, what data do we need across, you know, these functional areas to get comfortable, you know, with closing a transaction. Now, how we interpret all of that may be different, but the questions are largely the same. So I think to the extent, you know, being very organized, pre-populating data rooms, already asking yourself the question that you know you will receive from a buyer, um, you know, just helps for a, a smoother, you know, process. It's hopefully cleaner, quicker, um, and and makes folks folks less less anxious. I think too, you know, want to you know partner with with a group or organization that not only has the relationships but just you know conducts themselves in the right way that are constructive, um, you know, that can have open collaborative conversations. Um, and communicate to both parties to make sure that both buyer and seller are kind of getting what they need. Um, and then someone who can, can broadly just manage the process to kind of the timeline. And a lot of that, you know, comes with that upfront work that gives you confidence that, you know, hey, when you sign an LOI, you know, we can hit X, Y, and Z timeline. And I think what what we see as a buyer is, you know, we've closed transactions in, you know, as as quick as 30 days. Um, that's certainly not the norm, but it all comes down to the sell sides, preparation, um, and the quality of information they're able to provide. And to the extent that information is there, it's in a format that can be easily digested by the buyer and their advisors you can get through that transaction quicker. But if you're kind of starting to gather items, when we ask questions that obviously elongates things. Um, and so I think that preparation is very important, you know, when entering a sell side process. Yeah. I, yeah, from our perspective being, we try to be as organized as we possibly can and get out ahead of all that for, for two primary reasons. One we we represent our client, right? And we think that if we are organized, it reflects better on the client first and foremost. The second thing is from somebody in your seat, it creates a level of trust and credibility, you know? And, and I think both of those go a long way to 
the smoothing out any of the the uh, length of time, but also the undulations that occur over time. Um, and if we can hit those marks, it's a it's a better outcome, a better process with less stress and anxiety all the way around. So, um, uh, great great insight and um, really great guidance there. Let, um, let's talk a little bit about deals. Uh, I mean, not with great degrees of specificity, but maybe just from your perspective, deal structures, you know, we saw earnouts come back during COVID because nobody knew what the cash flows of these businesses were. So that was understandable. Um, but things, you know, from a structural standpoint, cash versus equity, um, non-competes, you know, and, and covenants or reps and warrants, those types of things, any any significant changes or, or, or things that you've seen along the way and as it relates to deal structure? You know, nothing um, ha- has really jumped out. You know, we, we've heard murmurs of, of, you know, the earnouts per your comment coming out of COVID. We personally, you know, coming out of COVID, you know, gave businesses that we were evaluating um, enough time to show kind of recovery, at least on a run rate basis. And so we, we didn't, you know, implement many of those, but did hear of that. I would say what we've seen is, you know, been, been somewhat of the norm, you know, traditional kind of cash up front, you know, equity, you know, rollover, um, you know, and, and that varies depending on, you know, appetite from, you know, both buyer and sellers, long-term outlook, et cetera. Um, but, generally saw some of that, um, you know, stay more aligned with, um, you know, historicals and, and no major, you know, changes in terms of, of non-competes and, and other kind of rep and warranties. You know, I think just biggest thing, you know, is just making sure good alignment up front, you know, between you and your transaction counterparty to ensure that, um, you know, each side has a really good understanding of, hey, you know, am I going to be around for, you know, two years, five years, 10 years and 15 years um, is something that we are very focused on in our, you know, multi-site provider businesses just to ensure that, you know, we have everything boxed on our side. And so it's say, you know, a continued rigorous focus on those conversations to ensure that, you know, both transaction counterparties and partners are on the, the the right side of things. Excellent. Excellent. Let's, uh, Miller, let's wrap it up with, um, you know, some general commentary about, uh, you know, I, you, you referenced earlier in our conversation about the, uh, the coming years and, and maybe even the next decade of dentistry being still really attractive and y'all are bullish on the space, but any, any general commentary around, uh, the, uh, the industry, the dental industry specifically, or any bold predictions for the future from your end? Of course, we're going to document this and hold you to it, you know? So, um. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think we will continue to see, you know, robust MA, you know, across the dental, dental industry, you know, over the last call it 12 to 18 months, we have seen, you know, MA in certain subspecialties pick up. I think we'll continue to see that, you know, over time, I think M&A will continue to pick up in those various specialties, you know, oral surgery, you know, endopedo, orthopediatric dentistry. I think that'll continue to happen. And, um, 
you know, I do think that over time we will see some of the larger, you know, DSOs, you know, transact with each other as they're, you know, continuing to chase growth. So, well, I don't know if those are, those are bold or necessarily any different um, from, from your views, parent or others out there, you know, something that we at least believe on our end. Look, man, I got to be honest with you and don't ever tell our audience this, but I'm just a nitwit with a microphone. Okay. I mean, I don't know anything about the space. That's why I have guys like you on, you know, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking as many, I'll go back and listen to this episode, Miller, and, and get, give you full props for all of it. I promise. So <laughs> no, this, uh, this has been great. I mean, your time is an incredibly valuable and I appreciate it. DeWalker appreciates it. Uh, and our audience does too. We're better off um, for for the la- your last hour in terms of spending it with us and and educating us. So y'all are a, an incredibly reputable um, uh, firm. I mean, you've done great work. You've had a lot of success and and really at the top end of the food chain. So I, I can't thank you enough for for spending a little bit of time. And obviously, we look forward to collaborating with you and and working with you well into the future and and hopefully having you back on sometime in the future too. Absolutely, Perrin. Um, you know, we feel the same way about you, DeWalker, um, you know, your firm and look forward to the continued dialogue. And thanks again for having me today. You got it. You got it. Well, everybody, I, I know you'll uh, you'll echo my sentiments in, in saying thanks to Miller Norman um, for his time today. And obviously, if you've got questions or comments or anything around anything that Miller and I discussed, feel free to drop me an email. You can always reach me directly at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. We will also link to Miller's contact information in the show notes. Uh, And if you have any other questions or want to find out more about us at Polaris, you can reach our website at www.PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Thanks so much for all of uh, your being a subscriber to our show. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Cheers, everybody. 